Chapter twenty five of The Narrative of Sojourner Truth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Narrative of Sojourner Truth by Olive Gilbert and Sojourner Truth. Chapter twenty five. The Cause of Her Leaving the City. The first years spent by Isabella in the city she accumulated more than enough to satisfy all her wants, and she placed all the overplus in the savings-bank. Afterwards, while living with Mr. Pearson, he prevailed on her to take it all thence, and invest it in a common fund which he was about establishing, as a fund to be drawn from by all the faithful. The faithful, of course, were the handful that should subscribe to his peculiar creed. This fund, commenced by Mr. Pearson, afterwards became part and parcel of the kingdom of which Matthias assumed to be head, and at the breaking up of the kingdom her little property was merged in the general ruin, or went to enrich those who profited by the loss of others, if any such there were. Mr. Pearson and others had so assured her that the fund would supply all her wants at all times and in all emergencies, and to the end of life, that she became perfectly careless on the subject asking for no interest when she drew her money from the bank, and taking no account of the sum she placed in the fund. She recovered a few articles of the furniture from the wreck of the kingdom, and received a small sum of money from Mr. B. Folger, as the price of Mrs. Folger's attempt to convict her of murder. With this to start upon, she commenced anew her labours, in the hope of yet being able to accumulate a sufficiency to make a little home for herself in her advancing age. With this stimulus before her, she toiled hard, working early and late, doing a great deal for a little money, and turning her hand to almost anything that promised good pay. Still she did not prosper, and somehow could not contrive to lay by a single dollar for a rainy day. When this had been the state of her affairs some time, she suddenly paused, and taking a retrospective view of what had passed, inquired within herself why it was that, for all her unwearied labours, she had nothing to show. Why was it that others, with much less care and labour, could hoard up treasures for themselves and children? She became more and more convinced, as she reasoned, that everything she had undertaken in the city of New York had finally proved a failure, and where her hopes had been raised the highest, there she felt the failure had been the greatest, and the disappointment most severe. After turning it in her mind for some time, she came to the conclusion that she had been taking part in a great drama, which was, in itself, but one great system of robbery and wrong. Yes, she said, the rich rob the poor, and the poor rob one another. True, she had not received labour from others, and stinted their pay, as she felt had been practised against her, but she had taken their work from them, which was their only means to get money, and was the same to them in the end. For instance, a gentleman where she lived would give her a dollar to hire a poor man to clear the new-fallen snow from the steps and sidewalks. She would arise early, and perform the labour herself, putting the money into her own pocket. A poor man would come along, saying she ought to let him have the job, he was poor and needed the pay for his family. She would harden her heart against him, and answer, I am poor too, and I need it for mine. 
but, in her retrospection, she thought of all the misery she might have been adding to, in her selfish grasping, and it troubled her conscience sorely. And this insensibility to the claims of human brotherhood, and the wants of the destitute and wretched poor, she now saw, as she never had done before, to be unfeeling, selfish, and wicked. These reflections and convictions gave rise to a sudden revulsion of feeling in the heart of Isabella, and she began to look upon money and property with great indifference, if not contempt, being at that time unable, probably, to discern any difference between a miserly grasping at and hoarding of money and means, and a true use of the good things of this life for one's own comfort, and the relief of such as she might be enabled to befriend and assist. One thing she was sure of, that the precepts, Do unto others as ye would that others should do unto you, Love your neighbour as yourself, and so forth, were maxims that had been but little thought of by herself, or practised by those about her. Her next decision was that she must leave the city. It was no place for her. Yea, she felt called in spirit to leave it, and to travel east and lecture. She had never been further east than the city, neither had she any friends there of whom she had particular reason to expect anything. Yet to her it was plain that her mission lay in the east, and that she would find friends there. She determined on leaving, but these determinations and convictions she kept close locked in her own breast, knowing that if her children and friends were aware of it, they would make such an ado about it as would render it very unpleasant, if not distressing to all parties. Having made what preparations for leaving she deemed necessary, which was to put up a few articles of clothing in a pillow-case, all else being deemed an unnecessary encumbrance. About an hour before she left, she informed Mrs. Whiting, the woman of the house where she was stopping, that her name was no longer Isabella, but Sojourner, and that she was going east. And to her inquiry, what are you going east for? Her answer was, the spirit calls me there, and I must go. She left the city on the morning of the 1st of June, 1843, crossing over to Brooklyn, Long Island, and taking the rising sun for her only compass and guide, she remembered Lot's wife, and hoping to avoid her fate, she resolved not to look back, till she felt sure the wicked city from which she was fleeing was left too far behind to be visible in the distance. And when she first ventured to look back, she could just discern the blue cloud of smoke that hung over it, and she thanked the Lord that she was thus far removed from what seemed to her a second Sodom. She was now fairly started on her pilgrimage, her bundle in one hand, and a little basket of provisions in the other, and two York shillings in her purse, her heart strong in the faith that her true work lay before her, and that the Lord was her director, and she doubted not he would provide for and protect her and that it would be very censurable in her to burden herself with anything more than a moderate supply for her then present needs. Her mission was not merely to travel east, but to lecture, as she designated it, testifying of the hope that was in her, exhorting the people to embrace Jesus, and refrain from sin, the nature and origin of which she explained to them in accordance with her own most curious and original views. Through her life, and all its chequered changes, 
she has ever clung fast to her first permanent impressions on religious subjects. Wherever night overtook her, there she sought for lodgings, free if she might, if not she paid, at a tavern if she chanced to be at one, if not at a private dwelling, with the rich if they would receive her, if not with the poor. But she soon discovered that the largest houses were nearly always full, if not quite full, company was soon expected, and that it was much easier to find an unoccupied corner in a small house than in a large one. And if a person possessed but a miserable roof over his head, you might be sure of a welcome to part of it. But this, she had penetration enough to see, was quite as much the effect of a want of sympathy as of benevolence, and this was also very apparent in her religious conversations with people who were strangers to her. She said, she never could find out that the rich had any religion. If I had been rich and accomplished, I could, for the rich could always find religion in the rich, and I could find it among the poor. At first she attended such meetings as she heard of, in the vicinity of her travels, and spoke to the people as she found them assembled. Afterwards she advertised meetings of her own, and held forth to large audiences, having, as she said, a good time. When she became weary of travelling, and wished a place to stop a while and rest herself, she said some opening for her was always near at hand, and the first time she needed rest, a man accosted her as she was walking, inquiring if she was looking for work. She told him that was not the object of her travels, but that she would willingly work a few days if any one wanted. He requested her to go to his family, who was sadly in want of assistance, which he had been thus far unable to supply. She went to the house where she was directed, and was received by his family, one of whom was ill, as a godsend, and when she felt constrained to resume her journey, they were very sorry, and would fain have detained her longer, but as she urged the necessity of leaving, they offered her what seemed in her eyes a great deal of money, as a remuneration for her labour, and an expression of their gratitude for her opportune assistance, but she would only receive a very little of it, enough, as she says, to enable her to pay tribute to Caesar if it was demanded of her, and two or three York shillings at a time was all she allowed herself to take, and then, with purse replenished and strength renewed, she would once more set out to perform her mission. End of chapter 25 Recording by Corrie Samuel